When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You probably haven't heard this number very often, but there are 278,695 documented cases of recovery. We're making sacrifices for health for strangers, as well as our loved ones. We're shutting down the entire country. Life law number one is you either get it or you don't. You say, well, what, what do you mean it? What is it? Well, it is what you need to understand for your life to work. If you have a job and you're just not getting along very well at the job, figure it out. Well, hello, everybody in isolation. It's Dr. Phil, so you're listening to Fill in the Blanks. I am doing this from home, and I am doing it Monday night. We are not quite as ahead of schedule as we normally are. I'm my own crew because I am in isolation like all of you are. I want to talk about coronavirus. I know you are hearing about it all the time, everywhere you turn, every channel you turn on. But what I want to talk about is different. I've really been frustrated by the fact that so much of what we're doing, so much of what we're hearing is either spun, politicized, or in some way has an agenda to it. That really bothers me. It doesn't matter what channel I'm listening to, they'll ask a few questions, and I don't know if you noticed, but before too very long, third or fourth question is, well, do you think the president's doing the right thing? Do you think Congress is doing the right thing? Do you think the Democrats are blocking this? Do you think the Republicans are doing that? And I tell you what, When I'm looking at a disease that is ravaging the world, and I hear people talking about that in a way that, in my opinion, they're using it for political leverage, political gain, that just really turns me off. I'm sorry. You want to talk about what the Obama administration should have done to prepare for this, You want to talk about what the current administration should have done to prepare for this? You know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. What could have been done, what should have been done, listen, that's over. Not even God can change what has happened. Let's talk about what we can do today. You know, this is serious. As of this minute, and right now it's 7.30 Pacific Daylight Time in California, The count is 374,516 cases, 10,358 deaths in the United States alone. There's 1,346,566 reported cases worldwide with 74,697 deaths. They don't report 
You probably haven't heard this number very often, but there are 278,695 documented cases of recovery. They don't talk much about that because it doesn't get headlines very much. You know, the news is biased because they've got to sell tickets, and that means they have to report something that's newsworthy, drama. Nobody ever tunes in to see what didn't happen today. They tune in to see what did happen, and what did happen is people got sick, people died. We have new hot spots in the U.S., in Pennsylvania, Colorado, D.C., Louisiana. The truth is, we really don't know where the hot spots are. We really don't know what's going on because it tends to kind of parallel testing, how much testing is being done. The states with the fewest number of cases are Nebraska, Hawaii, Montana, South and North Dakota, Wyoming, Alaska. They all have less than 500 cases, and they all have less than 10 deaths in the entire state. Now, also, those are states that have low numbers in terms of population, so you have to take that into account. And then you have to also ask yourself how much they're testing people. You just really don't know. Listen, I spent a lot of time in statistics when I was in undergraduate and graduate school because statistics kind of scared me, so I just being bullheaded, really leaned into it. And I know enough about it to know that you can kind of make the numbers look like anything you want them to look like. For example, there's, what, 330-some-odd million people in the United States. We've tested 1.9 million people out of 330-some-odd million. We've tested 1.9 million people. Overall, That's 5,784 per million. That's not much. In New York, it's 16,000 per million. In California, it's about 3,000 per million. Huge swing, right? So it's just a matter of how many you're testing. And trust me, trust me, you're going to hear me talk in a minute about what we know about this coronavirus that we didn't know even a month ago, and what I'll bet you don't know until I talk about it here in a few minutes. But we don't have a clue how many cases are out there right now because most of them, I'll bet you more are unreported than are reported. So we don't really know what the numbers are. Based on reported numbers, it looks like Things are flattening out in New York. They're saying that it won't peak for 10 days. However, models are just that. They're models. And it does look like that things may be flattening, that the curve may be flattening in New York. You know, I don't know. But the numbers aren't spiking the way they were predicted to spike right now. They say the peak will be in 11 days, and maybe this is a lull before the storm. Who knows? But let's just pray to God that it is flattening out. And why would it? It would flatten out because people are doing what they've been asked to do. You know, we're not helpless. We can have an impact on this if we do what we've been asked to do, which is to socially isolate, to socially distance when we do have to leave homes. You know, we've been asked to shelter at home, stay home. We were just asked to not even go to the grocery store or the pharmacy for the next two weeks if we don't have to. Why? 
because they believe that we're coming into peak times and that right now, if we really put our foot down on the gas of isolating, that we can really turn the corner here and take the peak off of this curve. So they're asking us to stay home as much as we can. And look, I'm a strong believer in it. I don't know about you, but you've heard me talk about COVIDians. Idiots when it comes to the COVID-19 disease, COVIDians. These are the people that just want to pretend it's not there. Some of them are just reckless, young people that just say, you're not going to take my spring break away from me. I'm going. I don't care what you say. And some of them have a more serious mentality. It's a spiritual thing. They say, listen, it's a matter of church. It's a matter of God. You're not going to tell me. The government's not going to tell me I can't worship. So they go to church with 1,100 other people, and they pack in the pews and say, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ is going to protect me. I'm a Christian. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior when I was 13 years old, took it very seriously then, take it very seriously now. But I'm also one of those that believes pray to God but row for the shore. God gave us arms. God gave us oars. I often think you sit out in the middle of the lake and pray for God to save you. I just wonder if he sits there sometimes and says, save you? I gave you arms, a strong back and oars. What do you want from me? Do something for yourself. He gave us free will. I wonder if that means that you know, we should exercise that will to make right decisions and protect ourselves. You know, worship over the internet. Do it virtually for a change. Something different for a brief period of time if it's exercising with an abundance of caution. I said I was going to tell you things that are not widely known right now, and these probably come out. And listen, I keep giving disclaimers. And I say that because I don't want anybody to be misled. I'm not an immunologist. I'm not a molecular microbiologist, which is relevant to understanding this disorder. I'm not an infectious disease doctor. What I do have is access to the best in the world. If you're out there living your life, whatever job you do, you probably don't have the same access to those people that I do after having been on television for 25 years. I do have the ability to bring these people onto Dr. Phil and talk to them. I do have the ability to pick up the phone and they take my call because they want to get the message out and they know that I have the number one platform in my arena syndicated daytime television, and so they want to talk to me because they know I will responsibly report the science. They know I'm apolitical, I never talk politics, and they know I will report the science. I had Dr. Nagy on today from Duke University. She's an infectious disease doctor. I taped a show with her today, very exciting conversation with her about some of the things that she's doing, some of the trials that they're running to help us get ahead of the game with ways to fight this. But some of the things you may not know, you know, the social distancing, they tell us that we need to stay apart six feet. But there's a study that's just been released in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, which is probably the premier medical journal, that says a sneeze will actually travel eight meters. That's 26 feet, nine inches. Not six feet, 
26 feet 9 inches. They say a cough will project droplets 6 meters. That's 19 feet 8 inches. So while we said social distancing should be 6 feet, the fact of the matter is if what was being projected, the droplets, the infectious droplets of coronavirus were purple. You could actually see them in the air and someone would sneeze, a violent sneeze, you know, just a big ha-choo. You could see this as paint. It could land on a white wall 26 feet 9 inches away. Now, have you been getting bad information when you've been told six feet? Our knowledge is evolving. We're learning more about this as we go along. And it is still true that the majority of droplets necessary to infect you with the disease will drop out around six to eight feet. However, there will still be droplets that paint the wall at over 26 feet for a sneeze and 19 feet for a cough. Most will drop out, and you're probably okay at 6 to 8 feet. But to be 100% sure, the article in the Journal of the American Medical Association says that the projection is almost 27 feet for a sneeze and 20 feet for a cough. So when they say you really want to stay away from people, you really want to not be congregating in the park or whatever, then that's the reason why. Now, there's been a lot of conversation about whether this is airborne or not. You hear some people say yes and some people say no. Again, I'm not the expert. I'm reporting what they say. And the reason that there's debate about this is because technically it's probably not what a lot of people would define as airborne, but it does hang in the air. For example, if you're in a patient's room that has tested positive for coronavirus, a closed-in space, four walls, and it's not a negative pressure room. And a negative pressure room, by the way, is a hospital room where the air is pumped out through an exhaust fan. It's pumped out of the room into the outside environment, a negative pressure room. So they're always exchanging air. It's pumped out of the room. But if they're not in a negative pressure room, and so they've been breathing into that air for the entire time they've been hospitalized, then it can hang in the air for up to three hours. So that patient could leave. You could walk into that room three hours after they had been there and there could still be coronavirus particles hanging in the air. Now, would there be enough for you to inhale and become infected? That's where the debate comes in. That's where the debate comes in. Because getting an aerosol version of this in your direction, you have to have enough of a concentration for it to reach infectious levels. If you're not around them, you don't have to worry about it. But if you are, then it has to be enough for you to become infected. So if you've been around someone that does test positive, that doesn't mean you're going to test positive. You have to have been exposed to them. They have to have breathed on you enough. They have to have coughed or sneezed 
and deposited droplets on you enough that it got on your hands or a surface that you touched, and then you touched mucous membrane, which is your mouth or the inside of your nose or your eyes. So there is a debate, is it airborne or not? I just answered for you what we do know, and that it hangs in the air for up to three hours. Is that enough of a concentration to infect you? Maybe, maybe not. It does live on cardboard for 24 hours. It does live on plastic for up to 72 hours. Again, is that a concentration enough to infect you? Well, if you touch those surfaces, a delivery guy or girl, say you got young college students or high school students that are delivering food to your house and they've become infected or around someone that has been and they've touched that box or they've touched that plastic bag. That's why it's best that you unpack your food outside with gloves on. You bring it inside and if it's in plastic, you immediately wash it with soap and water before you unpack the food. And then you wash your hands with hot soap and water and then you unpack the food. When you do that, you have reduced your chance of getting any type of contamination hugely. We're talking 90 plus percent. You've heard the controversy about whether you should wear a mask or not. Some people say yes, some people say no. The CDC has moved their position and said you probably should wear a mask if you're out. The only real reason they ever said not to wear a mask, well, there were two really. They didn't want you using masks that might be needed by healthcare, and they were afraid that you might get lax in other areas if you had the mask on. It gave you a false sense of security. But if you do wear a mask, just don't think that that's your golden ticket. Continue to wash your hands. Continue to clean surfaces. Continue to do all the other things that you do. No question a mask can help you. It can help you from spreading it. It can help you from getting it. Is it perfect? No. Can it come around the sides? Yes. Can you have contaminated hands when you put it on that you wouldn't ordinarily be touching your face? Yes. But does it help you overall? Of course it does. It keeps things from coming into your mouth, keeps you from spewing it out on someone else. Of course it helps, but it's not your golden ticket. Now, people have wondered, why now? Why this? Well, there's a study in the Journal of Science that says 86% of the people that get this virus are going to have zero or mild symptoms. Zero or mild symptoms. Now, what percentage are going to have zero symptoms? We really don't know because those people don't present. They don't present for treatment or testing. But even though they have zero symptoms, they do what is called shedding the virus. That's what's made this virus so dangerous because there are silent spreaders. There are super spreaders out there. These are people that they don't mean to be infecting anyone. You think, well, they look fine. They look just like me, but yet you walk up to them and they're shedding the virus. They're putting out infectious droplets. If you're standing up talking to them and You know, when people talk, sometimes moisture comes out of their mouth. They spit or something, and it may land on your face. It may land on your hand that you then put to your face. So a significant portion of people have zero symptoms. So they're silent infectors. And we don't know how many there are. 
we don't know. So they're out there. That's why you can't know who to avoid. If everybody that was sick had a scarlet letter on their chest, a big S for sick, then it would be easy to avoid those people, right? But that's not the case. We don't know who has it and who doesn't, which means it's hard to avoid them. There's been a real debate about whether this can infect young people or not. I think everybody knows now it can. Your chances of being hospitalized in your 20s is 1%, 4% in your 40s, 8% in your 50s, 19% if you're in your 80s. And what happens is your immune system sometimes can have a cytokine storm, which is an overreaction of your immune system that can be fatal. So you have to be concerned if you get this. You know, we just saw the prime minister of England was just rushed into ICU this afternoon. But it's interesting. There's a doctor at the University College of London, Dr. Fry. It's a woman, very active researcher did a study in 2018, and she simulated a pandemic. And her research shows that if you wash your hands five to ten times a day in the middle of a highly infectious pandemic, she was able to show that you can reduce those infected from 42 million to 21 million just by washing your hands five to ten times a day. Think about that. 42 million would be infected if you don't. You can reduce it to 21 million. Reduce it by 50% just by washing your hands 5 to 10 times a day. 20 seconds, 5 to 10 times a day. Now you add to that social isolation. You add to that social distancing when you are out. You add to that all the other things you do, cleaning the area around you, avoiding areas where you know people have been that are sick, etc. All these things begin to add up. We are not helpless here. That's why I keep saying we are going to get through this. And all the while, as of today, the CDC started rolling out tests for antibodies. They're going to find those people that either have it with no symptoms or have had it and gotten over it. And they're going to come out with antibodies that they can put into what's called a convalescent serum that they can use to treat people that are having the disease and really struggling with it. So there's a lot going on here. And look, now I want to talk about the area that I'm in. And I really want you to listen to what I have to say here. It is so important to me that you hear this. I have said that the mental emotional impact of everything that's happening to us right now can have as big or bigger an impact than COVID-19 itself. Now, think about what I just said. The disease, the virus you can catch, it's going to take some lives. Very small percent. 85, 86% of the people that have it are going to have no or mild to moderate symptoms. 14, 15% are going to go into the hospital and need treatment. A small percentage, maybe 3, 4%, would tragically lose their lives. I'm saying that the mental and emotional fallout from this is going to create more destruction 
in lives and actually take as many or more lives as the virus itself if we don't do things to change that. And that is already happening. Let me give you a little example. Today, the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Gutierrez, said that there has been a global surge in domestic violence. A global surge. A horrifying global surge is actually what he said. And he cited several examples, and I'll give you a few that I found on my own. In the United States, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, they take about an average of 2,000 calls a day. Between March 10th and the 24th, 951 calls cited COVID-19 as playing a role in the problems they were having. So how much has this affected things around the world? Well, reports of domestic violence in France up 32%, in Paris up 36%, Catalonia, Spain up 20%. This is just in the first few days when they had lockdown. Cyrus, Spain, 30%. Australia, searches on the internet about domestic violence and domestic violence resources up 75%. In Lebanon and Malaysia, domestic violence activity that's been reported, and this is the most underreported crime I believe there is, doubled. Lebanon and Malaysia, doubled. There's a British charity called Refuge. Their inquiries, activities, up 25%. Now, this is evidence that we had a problem before coronavirus. Think about it. A lot of words that are in our vocabulary hourly now were not in our vocabulary four to six weeks ago. COVID-19 was not in our vocabulary Coronavirus wasn't in our vocabulary. Now, the coronavirus family has been around for decades, but it wasn't anything that affected us the way this is, so we didn't talk about it much unless you were an infectious disease doctor. That wasn't in our vocabulary. Social distancing, that wasn't in our vocabulary. And come on, social isolation? Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We 
like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. I live in California, and Robin and I had to actually go out and run an errand yesterday. And we live in Beverly Hills, and we drove out of here and down Sunset Boulevard and over towards Paramount Studios. And seriously, it looked like the zombie apocalypse. I mean, there's no cars. Sunset Boulevard on a Sunday is usually just bumper to bumper. I mean, tourists, traffic. Honestly, there was no human life. There's nobody around. You go down through Rodeo Drive and areas where very popular destinations for people to come and visit and see. Ghost Town. Not a creature was stirring. Not even a mouse. Nobody around. And if you were to ask any of us two months ago if 90% of the citizenry in America would be on lockdown, sheltering at home, we would have thought you were crazy. But yet here we are. So what happens now? What do we do? I've said that mental-emotional impact of this is going to have as much or more impact than the disease itself. Let me talk to you about what I mean about that in particular. There are a couple of things that have a profound effect. Stress and loneliness. And let me talk about loneliness, because there are a lot of people that I'm getting so many messages on all my social media platforms about people really feeling lonely. Well, you know, when we're lonely, our body reacts differently than when we're not. And we actually have an antiviral response that is suppressed when we're lonely. Now, why is that? Well, apparently our body thinks that we don't need to worry about viruses or infection because we're not around other people. That's how sensitively balanced our body is. It discerns that we're not around other people that could infect us, so our antiviral response is suppressed. And so we go into a really actually a stress reaction, much like fight or flight. So we produce norepinephrine, which is a hormone that is generated when you are in a fight or flight circumstance. And again, this is something that suppresses the immune system. We want our immune system to be strong, not weak. There was a study by Holt and Lundstadt, which found that loneliness leaves people in a state of constant unhealthy unease. Their blood pressure is elevated, blood sugar levels go high, and if the state persists for too long, it contributes to chronic health conditions. People who are lonely are 32% more likely to die over a given period. People who reported feeling lonely were 26% more likely to die. People who experience social isolation defined as few or infrequent contacts with other people were 29% more likely to die. And now we have mandated social isolation. That means likelihood of dying for people that would in some way be at risk goes up almost a third. And if you have family members that you consider to be somehow at risk, 
in that group, you need to think about it. Now, what do you do about this? Well, it's also been found that even looking at a picture of a loved one can make pain feel less intense. Let's say you have back pain, neck pain, you have some kind of real pain. I'm not talking about imagined pain. I'm talking about organically based pain where you have nerve damage or you've suffered an injury. Just looking at a picture of a family member, a loved one, can make that pain be experienced as less intense. Now, how is that possibly the case? Well, because it triggers different chemicals in your body. And that's why I've been saying that we need to do pro-social behaviors, such as volunteering. It curbs physical symptoms of stress. You give away that which you need the most. You feel like you need somebody to care about you. You need somebody to do something for you. You need somebody to actually notice that you're alive. The best way to fill that void is to go do that for someone else. That's why I've said, if you're lonely, contact your neighbor. Maybe there's an elderly person on the corner. Maybe there's someone that you know is incapacitated in some way. They're less equipped than you are to get by, and so you reach out to them. Maybe you call your church and say, Pastor, do we have members of our church that are homebound or bedridden or they just don't have the ability to get to the store or to do for themselves? And I want to maintain social distancing, but is there something I can do for them virtually? Maybe they just need someone to listen to them. Can you connect me so I can talk to them? They probably don't want to give a stranger their phone number, but here, give them mine. Would you ask them to just call me, just make contact? Maybe they just need to hear a voice. Maybe they just need to hear you say, hey, look, we're all in this together, and I know that you live alone down in a corner, and I bet those four walls get to closing in. I just thought I'd reach out, and I'm glad you called. I just wanted to say, hello, how are you doing? How's it going for you? I'm going to the store. Is there something I can pick up for you? I notice there's a bunch of newspapers piling up in your driveway. Do you mind if I pick those up for you and put them on the front porch? Can I bring you something? If you start doing for others, I promise you it fills you up and that reduces your stress, which curbs the physical symptoms of stress because your immune system is fortified, which makes you less likely to be infected. We don't know how to stop coronavirus, but we do know how to fortify our immune system. Look, the coronavirus quarantine itself is a collective act of altruism. We're making sacrifices for health for strangers, as well as our loved ones. We're shutting down the entire country for 14 or 15 percent of our population, and most of those are elderly people that probably can't do anything for you? You're talking about 70, 80-year-old people that maybe a lot of them live in nursing homes or maybe they're retired and living on Social Security, fixed incomes. There's nothing they can do to help your family. You're not going to encounter them in your career or in your quest in life. Should we shut our country down for those 14 or 15%? 
Should the other 85% stop their lives for that 14 or 15%? You damn right we should. Because that's who we are. We're Americans. We take care of each other. We don't leave anybody behind because they're a little bit older. We don't leave anybody behind because they're a little bit infirm. Listen, if I need to shut down Dr. Phil in the studio and do things from home or stay home, cancel trips or travel, so people that I don't know can get better, absolutely, not a problem. I would like our government to get a little busier helping them out, but if what I can do is take myself off the field and go sit down on the sidelines, then okay. That's what they told me at CBS. They said, listen, we got to shut down here. We had already started shooting with no audience. And we had already said to our staff, why don't you guys work from home? Only just the very most skeleton crew come in. But then they come along at Paramount and CBS say, nah, we need to shut down altogether. Let's just call this a season and maybe we'll be back in two weeks. Let's shut down for a couple of weeks. Well, when they said that, I knew we weren't going to be back in two weeks because I knew it was going to be worse in two weeks, not better. But I came home and said, well, look, I believe this is the toughest time mentally and emotionally that our country has gone through since 9-11. This is not the time for me to disappear. I'm supposedly spending my whole career helping people with mental and emotional challenges. And so we get in the biggest challenge since 9-11, and I'm going to take the summer off? Are you kidding me? How crazy is that? So I started talking to my crew, and they're a great crew working from home, and we're using these new technologies like Zoom and FaceTime family-type things where you can talk to multiple people on the screen at one time. And so I think we've shot... I don't know, maybe 18 different episodes, all of them from my kitchen until today when I moved to the other end of the house because she wanted her kitchen back to do some baking and things like that. And by the way, my crew has been Robin. You know, Robin's been to every show I've done, 3,100 plus shows. She's been to every one. And all these I've shot at home, she's been to every one of these because she's wardrobe, makeup, hair. And yes, I have people do my hair. When you have as few as I do, you got to be sure they're all in the right place. She's camera. She's lights. She's sound. She's everything. She's learned more about how to put cameras together and focus and all of this stuff. So while I'm doing all these kind of things, she's running around in the background doing all of this stuff to help out. So she's been to every show, including the ones that I'm doing here from home. So we've actually been very busy. I've actually been shooting since 1030 this morning when I started shooting with Kevin Frazier from ET. He's a good friend of mine. And we did an interview about what people can do at home. So it's just important that we focus on not just the physical, but our mental and emotional. There's just so many studies Nicole Valtorta, PhD at Newcastle University in 2016, said, if you're lonely, there's a 30% increase in the risk of stroke and coronary heart disease. They define loneliness as lacking encouragement from family or friends. That was one of the elements. So do you have family members? Call up and encourage them. Loneliness raises your stress levels. That impedes sleep, and that in turn harms the body. 
and loneliness augments depression and anxiety. It increases the risk of dementia 40%. Hell, they did a study here at UCLA. Uh, Dr. Cole over there, he did some gene study, and the way they expressed in leukocytes, white blood cells, that play a key role in the immune system's response to infection. And leukocytes of lonely participants showed an increased expression of genes involved in inflammation, which is bad for infections, and a decreased expression of genes involved in the antiviral response, which is bad for infections. So I'm throwing a lot of things at you. I don't know which one is going to get through. Because some of you maybe are anxious. Some of you feel depressed. Some of you feel just kind of... uh, closed in and claustrophobic? I I don't know. But I do know this. The fear level that we're experiencing is hugely disproportionate to the risk. We are needlessly compromising our immune system. It's not this bad. When I say 85-86% are going to have no or mild to moderate symptoms, and I've got people considering killing themselves, and they're writing me and sending me emails. They're having this internal dialogue where they're going, oh my God, I, 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 I can't take it. Is the whole world going to come apart? Well, no, it's not going to come apart. They say, well, the stock market's crashing. It will come back. They say, all these restaurants are going out of business. Well, no, we, look, this will end and it's going to end soon. We are going to get through this. I'm not one to give blind encouragement. We're not going to get through this just because we're lucky. We're going to get through this because we do what we need to do. You need to take care of your immune system. And you you can strengthen your immune system by not smoking and eating fruits and vegetables and exercising and keeping your weight right. Drink in moderation. Get lots of sleep. Wash your hands 10 times a day. Take vitamin C and B6 and E. Drinking things with those rich in those vitamins, the research says this boosts your immune system. And don't fall for any of these scams out there. They're promising these miracle cures because there aren't any miracle cures. We don't have a vaccine. We don't have a cure. Only thing you can do is strengthen your immune system and hang on until we come up with some kind of a vaccine, some kind of a treatment, something to diffuse what we're going through, either shorten it or erase it. And we hope we do that before this comes back next season because they think it's going to be seasonal. And listen, I wrote a book a long time ago called Life Strategies, and it's doing what works, doing what matters. Y'all have heard me ask people probably a thousand times, How's that working for you? Because I'll have somebody come on and they'll tell me, well, I've been doing this and I've been doing that and I've been doing this and their entire life's falling down around their ears. And so it just seemed like a logical question to me. They tell me everything they're doing. I can see it's not working, but I ask them, how's that working for you? They just don't ever seem to ask themselves that. That just seems to be a question we ought to ask ourselves all the time. And so you're in isolation right now. You're dealing with your mate a certain way. How's that working for you? You're dealing with your kids a certain way. How's that working for you? 
And if the answer is pretty good, we're getting along pretty well, the, the kids are handling things pretty well, then embrace it and run with it. But if your children are not doing what they need to be doing, then require more of them. They need to clean their own rooms, help fix meals, get in front of that computer to do their homeschool lessons. Attendance has dropped 60% in some school districts since they started doing their lessons homeschool-wise. Now, part of that's because a lot of the families can't afford a computer, and so they just simply can't do their lessons. But some of it is because the kids are just like, hey, nobody's here to make me do it, so I'm not going to do it. Ask yourself, your approach to life in isolation, life in quarantine, how's it working for you? And if it's not working, get out a piece of paper and write down what's not working for you. Now, I'm going to be very prescriptive here. Write down what's not working for you. Are you and your spouse arguing a lot? Then that's not working for you. If there's chaos in your home, just yelling, screaming, kids running wild, not doing their schoolwork, whatever, then that's not working for you. If you're sitting around depressed and obsessing, watching the media all the time, reading all the time about this virus, and you're feeling more and more depressed, then that's not working for you. Ask yourself, what am I doing that's not working for me? And write it down. That goes on a to-do list. Look, life law number two is we create our own experience. You're not a victim here. You're not a victim. Life law number one, by the way, is you either get it or you don't. Life law number one is you either get it or you don't. Now think about that. You either get it or you don't. You say, well, what, what do you mean it? What is it? Well, it is what you need to understand for your life to work. If you have a job and you're just not getting along very well at the job, figure it out. If you're trying to lose weight and you've lost the same 10 pounds 10 times, figure it out. If you've got a mother-in-law that you just can't get along with, figure it out. What is it that I'm doing or not doing that creates hostility there all the time? You either get it or you don't. Figure it out. If isolation, quarantine is not working for you, figure out why. And write down what's not working for you and then create an alternative. What could I do instead? Because we create our own experience. And people tend to do what works. But you can't change what you don't acknowledge. If you don't acknowledge that what you're doing isn't working, it won't go on your to-do list. So recognize you're not a victim. You create your own experience. If, if, you're, if your home is filled with tension and stress, own it. 
you create your own experience. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm married to a horrible human being. I'm taping an episode tomorrow, and one of the questions I've got is, I hate my husband even more than I did before quarantine started. What should I do? Well, you know, (laughs) that's a tough one to answer. What do you mean you hate your husband? I got to figure that one out and give her an answer. But I promise you, she's creating that experience. Why would you focus on that now? This is not the time to solve relationship problems. This is the time to get through a difficult patch. Make changes when you're back to normal. Make changes when you have more opportunities, more alternatives. Don't make changes when you're in lockdown. Figure out what you have to do to survive this and get through. Life is managed. It's not cured. And that's why I say this too will pass. We're not going to cure your life here. You're going to manage this quarantine time. You're going to manage it and get through it. And I want us to come out the other end better than we came in. Do I wish this on anyone? Is this a growing experience? I don't know. I'll tell you what I do know. And then I'm going to let you get back to doing what you got to do. But I'm one of those people that believes that crises do not heroes make. Hurricane, flood, whatever, does not create a hero. If somebody turns out to be a hero during a crisis... They were a hero before the crisis happened. They just hadn't shown it yet. Crises reveal who you really are. If you get into a crisis and you see people looting stores and stealing from homes, those guys were jerks before the crisis. The crisis didn't turn them into jerks. They were jerks before the crisis. They were criminals before the crisis. They had no moral compass before the crisis. People that are on the doorsteps of elderly scamming them out of their money by telling them they've got the cure for the COVID-19 or their insurance has been canceled, and if they don't pay them $500 right there on the front porch, they're not going to be able to go to the hospital if they get sick, which is happening all over the country right now. Those scammers were jerks before the crisis. Crises just reveals who you are. What's it revealing about you? Are you folding under the pressure, or are you stepping up and leading yourself and your family through this maze? Are you panicking under the pressure, or are you doing your homework and finding out what the truth is? If you're listening to me, you're getting straight science. I told you, I'm not the scientist. I'm not the immunologist. I'm not the infectious disease doctor, but I have access to the people who are, and I'm telling you precisely what they're telling me. So I'm giving you the science. You are doing your homework if you've stayed with this, and listened. If you're having a huge fear response, it's disproportionate to the threat here. And I don't mean to trivialize this in any way. It is very serious. We need to take it very serious. 
We may be plateauing. I don't know. There are some positive signs out there. But that's not the time to go, oh, well, okay, I can start loosening up a little bit. No, that's the time to really push that accelerator. Let's really get tough right now and kill this thing where it is. As I said, Dr. Fry said, washing your hands five or ten times a day, cut that pandemic model in half from 42 million to 21 million. So let's, let's create our own experience here. I don't want you to come out of this depressed. I don't want you to come out of this with PTSD. I don't want you to come out of this with a lack of confidence. I want you to come out of this and look back and say, I did that. I got through that. I'm proud of the way I handled that. I led my family. And I'm proud of what I did. And if I can help in any way with that, then I've done my job. And I'm going to continue to do this. And we're going to talk about some other things besides coronavirus. You need some balance in your life. But right now, I want to be sure you're getting the straight scoop. Nobody's talking about the mental, emotional parts of this. So I'm going to because, like I said, life law number four, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. You can't change if you're getting mentally ill right now if you don't acknowledge it. I want to put it on your list, put it on your radar so we can talk about it. Because next week, I'm going to give some more coping skills of how to handle this. We are going to get through this. And I don't say that as just blind encouragement, oh, you'll be okay. We're going to get through it because we make ourselves get through it, because we make the right choices and do the right things. Listen, I, I really appreciate your listening. And we're doing shows every day on coronavirus. And I told you I'm talking to the top experts in the world. I'm bringing them on, Dr. Phil, so you can hear from them yourself. This week, I'll have Dr. Nagy from Duke University. Boy, how impressive is this woman? And she really blows up some of the scams that are out there. I mean, there are some scams going on that you won't believe. George Mueller, he's head of the insurance commission fraud division here in California. I believe he is the number one scam expert in the United States. He's going to tell you how to stay safe, protect your money, protect your information. And he's going to tell you some things you don't. He told me some things I don't know. I'm bringing you some top experts in the science and in life. And uh, I think it's the highest and best use of my platform right now. And so that's what I'm doing. So tune in to the shows. You'll hear some things you need to know. And I appreciate you sharing this time with me on fill in the blanks i'm going to keep doing these through isolation as long as i got a microphone and a battery i'm going to do it thanks for listening i'll talk to you next tuesday be well be safe follow the guidelines so long